All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. All right, 2021 is on its way out and I don't think too many of us are all that upset about it. Plus, we've got 2022 coming in, which means we need to be making some predictions for what is going to happen this next year. And so we will be talking about 2021 review, predictions for 2022. We can see if I'm any good at this predictive analysis game, all on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. All right, 2021 in review. Now, let's go through and let's just talk about some of the highlights, some of the things that have really marked 2021. First and foremost, obviously, we got to mention January 6th, right? Because you, you had the riot at the Capitol, you had the people running into the Capitol. Um, you know, I mean, just an absolute mess. And I had a lot of people right up front ask me what I thought about this. And I said, look, I, I think it was totally wrong. I think it was totally inappropriate. I think the people that, you know, again, went in there that, that, um, you know, either engage in any sort of vandalism or violence, need to be prosecuted, you know, I, all of that. Now, since then, obviously, we've had these congressional investigations. We've had all kinds of other things going. We have people that are still in jail. We have people still trying to figure out what's, what's essentially going to happen to them, who was overall responsible, things like that, and that's going to continue. And I had some people saying, well, Nick, you know, if you, if you don't think this was right, if you think it was bad, then why did you have any problems with Congress setting up the investigation and whatnot. And my response was, well, no, I don't have a problem with Congress investigating something like this. It, it makes sense for Congress to investigate, you know, people running into the Capitol and, and you know, making a mess of things. Um, but th the manner in which they were going through it is the part that I think a lot of us were concerned about. It's like, was this, going to be an, was this going to be an honest investigation of what happened at the Capitol on January 6th? And were we actually going to take a, a look at various trends going on all over the country with respect to people engaging in rioting, violence, et cetera, in order to achieve their objectives? Because one of the things I think was missing from the overall analysis of January 6th is once you've convinced people that the way that you get what you want is by rioting, engaging in van, uh, vandalism, violence, theft, et cetera. Once, once you convince people that as long as, you, as, long, as long as in your mind you're doing it for a noble reason, then it's okay and appropriate and justified, well, then don't be surprised when other people decide to do that in ways that you don't necessarily agree with. And so there, there either has to be kind of this across the board um, understanding that we're, we're not going to allow for people to engage in, in rioting and looting and violence in order to get what they want. Right, we're either not going to we're either not going to accept that across the board, or you're opening it up the world for some people to interpret it one way and some people to interpret it another way. And so there needs to be a universal condemnation of that sort of behavior. 
And so, you know, just as I was willing to, you know, condemn all the, the behavior that took place for the rest of the year, I'm willing to look at January 6th and say, yeah, absolutely, totally inappropriate. You don't get to go in there and do that. And again, if you're, if you're stealing, if you're engaging in violence, if you're breaking things, you need to be prosecuted as a result. I have no problem with that, right? I, I want, the whole purpose of this podcast in some part is to help you make the argument, but to be intellectually consistent as we're making it. But we also have a reasonable expectation that due process of law, um, you know, equality before the law, all of that's going to be executed. And I think there's a lot of concern right now that that's not what ends up happening. That it does end up being selective, especially when Congress is the one doing in the investigation. And this is, this is less about finding, getting to the bottom of something, getting to the truth and, and, you know, achieving some sort of justice and more about achieving some sort of political end state. And, and you, you've seen the political rhetoric surrounding a number of things that Congress has tried to do and investigate. And I think that's where the, the general concern is. Um, let's move on to the next thing. Obviously, we have the inauguration, Joe Biden coming into office. Now, Joe Biden was actually coming into office at a time that, you know, for, from a political standpoint, if you're just looking at this and you're doing the political analysis of it, he was actually coming in at a pretty good point because we had gone through the worst of COVID. We had gone through the worst of the lockdowns. We had a vaccine that was being uh, sent out there. We knew a lot more and understood a lot more about the nature of uh, coronavirus, who it affected, who, who it was truly deadly toward and other groups of people that it was not as deadly toward. You know, obviously if you were young and, and healthy, chances are, you know, you weren't going to end up in the hospital or you weren't going to end up dying over COVID. If you were 60, 70 and above, or you had comorbidities, then yeah, you, you were at a, a real threat as a result of, um, or COVID presented a real threat toward you. And so the, the understanding, the idea of where do we need to allocate resources, these were th something that we had the entire summer and fall to work through in order to discover that. So when Joe Biden's coming into office, again, he has medical resources available to him that the Trump administration did not. Um, we also had a, a much better understanding of what worked, what didn't work. And so the, the idea was is that Biden would have had the ability to confront you know, lingering COVID issues um, without making some of the mistakes that just naturally take place as a result of not knowing what a virus is going to do. And Biden screwed that up royally. Um, and instead of, you know, the, his old vaccine rollout, it, it, instead of making something easy, easily accessible, available, uh, instead it was more about we're going to threaten you if you don't do what we want, which that, that's always going to have a backlash among free people. Uh, especially when these new mandates or these new threats of mandates are coming from people that were all very, very skeptical of the vaccine when Trump was in office, but then all of a sudden thought it was the only solution to everything the moment they were in office. So there was this intellectual inconsistency and dishonesty from the Biden administration. Then we have all this stuff coming out with Dr. Fauci, where we realize that he's saying one thing at one time, another thing at another time. And we're not just talking about, again, simply becoming wiser after having a better understanding of what happens with COVID. We're talking about somebody that is directly contradicting statements they have made, whether it's statements they've made in private versus the public statements they've made, um, you know, things like that. that. That causes people to lose trust. And then on top of that, when you have, and, and don't tell me the government wasn't colluding or working with social media companies to do this, because I absolutely think they were. Because it was this whole idea that now social media was going to shut down. They were going to prevent people from, you know, saying anything that didn't fit within the government narrative with respect to vaccinations, with respect to the Wuhan lab, with potential leaks out of there, with potential gain of function research, with respect to masks. So uh, essentially anybody that was there asking honest, legitimate questions was being punished within the social media realm at the behest of the federal government. Um, and, and we end up with this situation where we find out later that a lot of things that were being thrown off in social media as you know, conspiracy theories, et cetera, turned out that no, there, there was some validity to those things. 
And so that causes a great deal of distrust within the establishment. So at the same time, the establishment is trying to get you to you know, do things which may or may not be good. If, if all of a sudden we've lost trust and we feel like you're going to censor or punish us if we don't do what you say at the same time that you're not allowing us to question what it is you're trying to do, well then of course, you're gonna cause a lot of problems with respect to any sort of policy that you're trying to roll out. So again, it was, it was another area where I think the Biden administration just really screwed things up. Um, obviously, if we're talking about 2021, we got to talk about inflation. And this is the part where I, I think there's going to be some listeners that get a little mad at me about this, okay? Because I think inflation is horrible. I think it's a hidden tax. If you want to learn more about the problems of inflation, I think Milton Friedman did a great job talking about it and things like Free to Choose and other books that he's done, uh, or books and, and uh, videos that he's done. But in, inflation is obviously, you know, one of the ways that you can really destroy an economy. And inflation is not just higher prices. You got some politicians talking about higher prices and that's inflation. No, inflation is really a monetary phenomenon. What it is, is the Federal Reserve, the, the Treasury is just printing out more dollars, right? And what happens is prices go up, not necessarily because there's a supply chain issue or supply and demand issues, right? Because those are other reasons why prices go up. Prices go up because the value of your individual dollar decreases the more of those dollars are printed off. Now, here's the part that some people are going to be mad at me about. We need to acknowledge that a lot of the inflationary monetary policy that took place took place over the summer and fall before Joe Biden came into office, right? So Republicans and Democrats both need to take blame and responsibility for encouraging inflationary monetary policy. It hasn't been just one party, right? And so it's going to be very important that we understand and we be intellectually honest about what is going on with respect to inflation. And, and there needs to be a concerted push from, from conservatives, if we're serious about this, if we're serious about monetary responsibility, to say that, look, we understand that a, a bubble has been created as a result of inflationary monetary policy, that it didn't start yesterday, it didn't start last year, right? It's something that's been ongoing for quite some time now. And in order to address it, there is going to be some pain involved. Now, how much pain is involved depends entirely on what sort of um, a policies that we put in place along with, you know, trying to get to more sound monetary policy. So it, by the, so if you're, if you're lowering regulations, if you're lowering taxes, if you're making it easier for people to engage in commerce, right? At the same time that you're saying we can't, we can't keep, you know, just printing out more money. That's the way that you actually soften the blow. All right. But we're going to get into a prediction uh, with this in 2022. But in the meantime, inflation has become a real problem. The Biden administration has not been interested uh, really in trying to reduce that inflation. There's been some talk about finally raising interest rates. We'll see what actually happens. Again, I have some predictions for that. All right, along with that, we've also got to talk about Build Back Better uh, because I got to tell you, some of the propaganda around Build Back Better has been really impressive to see um, because this is a horrible bill. Like this, this whole idea that this is going to create jobs and this is going to get people back to work and this is going to be, you know, making tax dollars work for the people that actually pay taxes. What a load of garbage. This is the government spending trillions of dollars that they don't have, much of that they don't have, okay, on, on a bunch of projects that the government has now determined is, is what's best. So instead of you having more control over your money, instead of the government actually being responsible to the, the amount of you know, debt that we have um, or, or deficit spending, instead of the government being responsible with all of those things, no, 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 their key is going to be to spend trillions of dollars, which the only way that they can do that is through either printing more money, taking out more debt, or taxing you higher. And the idea that that's what's going to be good for creating jobs is absolute garbage. In fact, if you want a good book that really kind of fights against this, Henry Hazlitt's 
uh, Economics in One Lesson talks a lot about the seen versus the unseen. And this is a classical example of this, where a bunch of politicians get together and essentially say, well, look, we're going to spend all these trillions of dollars on green energy and, and infrastructure projects. And when they say infrastructure, they essentially mean anything they want, because they were talking about childcare being infrastructure. Right, so they're going to spend all this money and that's going to create these new jobs and this new high-powered green economy, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, no, here's what's actually happening. They're taking money away from the people that have earned it and they're taking away your ability, they're taking away your purchasing power to be able to spend money on the things that you want and you value, okay? So they're, they're deprioritizing what you want and they're prioritizing what they as politicians want and presumably what the best lobbyists want. So that's what, so it's not that they're creating new jobs. What it is, is they're destroying jobs in the areas of the economy that you as a consumer want to see grow. And how do we know that? Because you're spending your money in those areas. And instead they're spending the money on those areas in the economy that they think should grow. But I'm sorry, the government does not have a good track record with respect to central planning and determining what should be reflected within the economy. So Build Back Better is something they put a, a lot of time and energy uh, pushing on. And they went so far as to say that they should be, you know, again, get rid of the filibuster. You have some Democrats now saying just get rid of the Senate entirely because it's undemocratic. Um, and, and what it has is that Build Back Better has actually revealed that the left doesn't have a good understanding of economics. Their, their plan is always to just spend more money, print more money. Um, and because they were willing to get rid of certain institutions, which even certain Democrats like Kristen Sinema and, and uh, Manchin in West Virginia acknowledge that, no, these are important aspects. These are important processes with, res with respect to the way our government works. And you don't get to get rid of them because they don't happen to be working for you right now. But again, what the left has revealed is that the moment, the moment something within our institutions or in our constitution or in our rules stands in the way of them achieving what they want, they want to get rid of it. Now, did they feel that way when they were in the minority? Did they feel this way about the filibuster when they were in the minority? Absolutely not. They thought it was an important part in order to preserve democracy against you know, horrible people like President Trump. But now when they're in power and it's standing in the way of them getting everything that they want, now it needs to go away. Now this is an antiquated, you know, racist, whatever. Right? So, you know, again, this is another thing where they, they put all their eggs in this Build Back Better basket. It didn't work out the way they thought it would, thank God, because it was a bad idea. Um, they, they tried to use it as a way to get rid of, you know, other elements within American institutions that are kind of important for protecting minority rights and, and by preventing the federal government from doing things that it's not supposed to do. And they really kind of expose themselves and their whole attitude toward this uh, through Build Back Better, which at this point has, has failed. We'll see what happens going forward. Two other things we got to mention. Obviously, we got the Supreme Court reviewing Roe v. Wade based off of an abortion law out of Mississippi, uh, which put additional restrictions on abortion, uh, basically, um, you know, outline any abortion past uh, 15 weeks, unless, of course, you had some issue like life of the mother or, or one of those um, circumstances. So basically what it is, is that if you're going to have an abortion for convenience, you're going to do it after 15 weeks. And this kind of went against the, you know, Roe v. Wade viability thing, which said you can make limitations on abortion post, I think it was like 22 to 24 weeks, but you couldn't do it before that. And so now the Supreme Court is reviewing whether or not Roe is going to stand. Now listen, whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, and I am adamantly pro-life, I don't think anybody's confused about that, Roe was horribly decided. 
Um, if they had used the same reasoning in Roe to justify something else that liberals didn't like, liberals would all be clamoring for what a horrible decision Roe was. But since it was something that liberals liked, then they didn't care what the legal justification was because it achieved the policy and state that they liked. And let's face it, the left is notorious for loving activist judges, which is to say that if they can't get something through the political process the way that they want, they love the idea of having a judge stand up and say, you know what, we're just going to skip all of this you know, democratic voting that Democrats claim to love, and we're just going to implement it by judicial fiat. That's what happened in Roe. I'm sorry, you, you are not going to find anywhere on the Constitution that justifies some sort of universal right to abortion, which is ultimately the destruction of innocent human life. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but you don't get to tell me that you care about science and then deny that at the moment of conception, we're not talking about a living human being. That is what we're talking about. It's at its earliest stage of development, but it's an innocent, living human being who, by the way, is not there because of its own action. It's there because, in most cases, with the exception of obviously something like rape, it's there because two, con two conscious adults chose to use their bodies in such a way that they knew could bring about a pregnancy. And now that the pregnancy has materialized, I, I, look, I, I'm, I'm sorry that they don't, they don't you know, want the consequences of that decision, but generally speaking, in, in U.S. legal circles and everywhere else, we don't say it's okay to harm or kill another human being um, when you're the one directly responsible for putting them in a position that you now find inconvenient, right? You don't get to do that, and you shouldn't get to do it here. There's no constitutional justification for it. The big question is going to be, what does Roberts do, right? Is Roberts going to be able to convince Alito and Thomas? I think are pretty solid on this. The real question is going to be, what does Roberts do, and what does Kavanaugh um, uh, Kavanaugh do and uh, Barrett do. So, uh, you know, we'll see on that one. Um, and then finally, the other thing we've got to talk about is the elections that happened in Virginia, because th this was huge. And this gives us a really good indication going into the 22 cycle on, on what's going to happen for midterms. What does it mean for Joe Biden and his administration? Because for over 10 years now, we, we haven't won a statewide election in over 10 years in Virginia. And now all of a sudden, we took back the Virginia House of Delegates, won the governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general. Uh, office. A very, very close race, but we won them all. Um, and now, and we won on some issues that are really, really important, I think, and are good for conservatives going forward. Things like uh, educational freedom, school choice. Those are going to be very important issues. The real question is going to be, is are the Republicans that just got elected going to govern in accordance with the way that they promised they would? And there's some good indications coming from all three of them right now, whether it's uh, Governor Yunkin, Lieutenant Governor uh, Winsome Sears or Attorney General Jason Maris has some really good indications that, yeah, they plan to they plan to really carry out what it is they plan to do. And that's what we're going to have to see. But this this sent shockwaves throughout the country because most people did not believe that Republicans were going to win back the House of Delegates. They did not believe we were going to win the statewide races. And all that obviously transpired. Our candidates ran really good campaigns. Democrats were unusually honest about what they believe with respect to parents being involved in the education of their children, and that all hurt them. But one of the most important aspects I think we got to watch in all of this, one of, one of the biggest things to come out of that was not just the education debate, but it was how Democrats treated the voting public before, during, and after this election. Because the, the general statement was things like, there's no such thing as CRT being taught in your elementary schools. Well, it, it came out, and, and I mean, it was just verifiable that that was false. That was a false statement. That not only had Democrats actively pushed for CRT within our schools, but that they actually made it a condition of, of teachers being able to get or renew their license to teach. They had to actually go through this equity training, which was heavily influenced by CRT. And we were able to go to the Virginia Department of Education website and show them where they were doing it, and yet we still had Democrats saying it wasn't happening. And then when it became so obvious that they were lying to us about it, their, their follow-on response was, well, if you don't agree with this, you're racist. 
And the voters' response was like, wait a second, two seconds ago you said this wasn't happening. Now you're saying, well, if it is happening and you don't like it, you're a racist. And that ended up being the, the Democrats' mantra, right? If you don't vote for us, you're a racist. And they ended up finding out that they were telling a lot of people, to include minority populations, that they were racist if they didn't vote Democrat. And it really revealed kind of the overall approach the Democratic Party has used for some time now. And what we saw in Virginia was essentially a voter pushback against that narrative. It was like, no, you know, you're, you're not going to get to brand us however you want and try to embarrass us into voting for you. You're either going to address our concerns or we're not going to vote for you. And that's what happened. Now, you would think that after that, Democrats would come out and say, you know what, I think we, we made a mistake here. And there were some that actually did, but the vast majority of Democrats doubled down on the, you weren't, you're all racist, and the only reason you didn't win is because you weren't socialist enough. So God bless them if they want to keep with that narrative. I don't think it's going to help them. All right, let's go into some predictions for 2022. Couple of things. One, the federal uh, the Federal Reserve is finally talking about trying to address some problems with respect to interest rates uh, and inflation. Here's what I here's what I think the problem is. I think they're going to talk about it for right now. I don't think they're going to do much about it. I don't think they're going to try to do much about it because if you if you try to significantly raise interest rates in order to combat some of like the easy lending practices that are going on right now which inevitably leads to you know, problems with respect to investment, capital improvement. Um, if you do all that, there's going to be a backlash within the stock market. And the Biden administration is very conscientious of the fact that they're in a bad position going into the midterms right now. Uh, people's trust with their ability to you know, improve the supply chain crisis, to improve the economy, um, all of that is very, very low. And all of a sudden, if you have a huge stock market dip at the same time, it's really going to help Republicans in the midterms who are already in a pretty good uh, position right now. However, we're looking better in the House of Representatives than we are in the Senate. And the last thing that Joe Biden needs is for the economy to do just tank as a result of higher interest rates. And again, please understand, I, I actually support this idea of returning to sound monetary policy, which is going to require hiring interest rates and, and you know shutting down the printing press with all the dollar bills right now. But because we have an, an inflation boosted economy right now, that does mean that you're going to see you know negative uh, changes within the stock market as a result. Again, the way to combat that is to lower taxes, lower regulations, make it easier to actually engage in commerce so that you're actually having economic growth as a result of genuine productivity and exchange within the marketplace as opposed to just pumping more dollars into it. Right. So I, I, th there's a way to mitigate that problem. But the Biden administration is taking the complete opposite approach, right? They want to spend more money. They want to raise taxes. They want to raise regulations. They're actually making it more difficult to engage in actual economic productivity. And the only way they're able to counter that is by just pumping more dollar bills into the economy, which at this point, the inflationary effects of that are, are you know, preventing any sort of you know, economic benefit. People are feeling the pinch more than, they're, more than they care about whether the stock market is trading at a, at a higher rate right now. So I think what's going to end up happening is the Federal Reserve might talk about it, but I think, I, I think they're going to wait to do anything that would be necessary in order to combat inflation. And so I think they're going to wait until after the midterms because I think Republicans are going to win the, the House of Representatives anyways. Uh, I think we got a shot at taking back the Senate, although it's going to be close. So if Republicans take back the Senate, they take back the House, and then all of a sudden the Federal Reserve decides to increase interest rates, and now you see you know, a dive in the stock market because it's so inflated right now based off of monetary policy. Well, then Joe Biden gets to come back and say, oh, look, see, we got Republicans in office, and now all of a sudden the economy is tanking. Right? And it won't be true. It won't bear any reflection to reality. But the bottom line is that people aren't paying a lot of attention to the economy. They don't understand monetary policy and they turn on the news and one minute Democrats were in control 
and the economy was limping along and the next minute the stock market crashes, it's going to be easy for the left to make an argument that this was because of Republican control of Congress um, as opposed to the real reason why it's there and that's because of years of inflationary monetary policy as well as other bad policies which, again, make it more difficult for people to engage in productive uh, activity. Um, here's another prediction for 2022. I do think uh, we're going to take back the House of Representatives. Um, I, I don't know to what I don't know to what extent yet. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be like a historic, you know, 19 what was it, 1994, where it was, um, you know, 40 seats. I don't I don't think we're going to look at that, but I do think we're going to take. We're, I don't think it's going to be a convincing lead in the House of Representatives. So I could see uh, Republicans winning it back by you know, anywhere from, you know, 15 to 25 seats, depending on, on, you know, what's going on right before election day. Because again, when, when voters go into the booth, it's, it's typically based off of what's been happening over the last several months, not necessarily what's happened over the last couple of years. So we'll see what takes place there. But I do think, uh, Republicans are going to take back the house of representatives. I am not so sure on the Senate. So I'm, I'm going to hold off a little bit on that prediction right now. Uh, sorry, I know that's weak sauce, but um, again, take back the House of Representatives. Uh, again, Fed not doing anything significant with the interest rates until after the midterms, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. Hopefully I'm wrong. Um, a couple other things that I think we're going to see is I, I do think there's going to be a lot of eyes on Virginia on what happens, at least within Virginia. And the reason why this is important to the country as a whole is because there was a significant shift in the political trend that was taking place in Virginia for about six years, actually more like eight years, most things were trending in the favor of Democrats, not Republicans. And then all of a sudden, we, we lost 15 seats in the House of Delegates, or we lost the state Senate, and we lost 15 seats in the House of Delegates, we lost the governorship. Uh, I mean, just right off the bat, over 10 years of just solid trending in favor of the Democrats, and then we had a U-turn. The real question is going to be what happens now. Uh, the Democrats still control the Virginia State Senate by one vote. So I think the real question is going to be, is, are Virginia Republicans going to fight back and actually deliver on their campaign promises? Um, I'm certainly predicting that when it comes to things like education reform, I do think we're going to see some substantive changes uh, that are, are going to be significant. Um, hopefully, we're actually going for things like education savings accounts and genuine choice, and it's not just a couple of charter schools here and there. But I, I do think we're going to see some significant changes there. Um, other prediction going in for uh, 2022 is um, I think you're going to start to see a, a real, uh, real big pushback on the mandates. Now, obviously you've already seen this, uh, but largely there's a reason why the president is trying to do this through the executive branch, right? There, there's a reason why they're trying to use existing OSHA regulations to just do what they want. And that's because I don't think they've had the ability to be able to get sort of the legislation that they would have wanted to try to impose this and make it more difficult for them to be defeated in the courts. Um, but I, I think you're going to start to see a, a real pushback on that. And here's, here's the question. Um, if you if if you actually see the federal government going through as they promised in the new year was saying that if you have a a hundred plus employees uh, you have to have a vaccine mandate or weekly testing, I actually think you're going to see more and more activity taking place on the black market. Now we did a whole podcast episode on the black market. I, I would highly encourage you to check that out because most people have this this middle image of the black market of, of trading AK-47s and RPGs and heroin, right? And yes, those are certainly black market transactions that take place. However, what most people don't understand is that if you've ever bought a scalped ticket to a football game, you've engaged in a black market transaction. And I think that the more the Democrats push for, for mandates, 
uh, or the more they push for regulations, which, uh, which makes it harder for people to get the things that they want, that people don't see any moral problem with, right? This is really important. When people don't see any moral problem with engaging in a particular transaction, and the only reason why they can't engage in that transaction, or if the government makes it overly difficult or expensive to engage in that transaction, people will find alternative means in order to engage in commerce. And I think because of what's going on right now as a result of COVID, as a result of regulations, I think you're actually going to start to see an increase on the black market on a number of things, whether it be you know, things with healthcare, uh, whether it be with various products and services, whether it be with kind of um, econ more economic transactions taking place under the table. I think you're actually going to see an increase in that as we go forward, because even if you do have a Republican-controlled Congress, that doesn't mean that the federal government through the executive branch isn't going to still going to try to crack down on a lot of things. And, and one of the natural pushbacks to that is not just through the election cycle, it's also through how people engage in commerce. And there's going to be a lot more people asking questions like, you know what, if I want to buy you know, food from my next door neighbor, and they haven't gone through, you know, the, the, um, you know, the various federal regulations in order to process their meat, but I trust them, then I don't, think, I don't think the government needs to be involved in that transaction. I think you're going to see more people doing things like when they buy like cheese or raw milk and, or other staples, they're going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm free to make that decision. I don't need the government to interfere if I know the person that I'm buying it for. That's a really small example. I think another one is going to be things with like health care. Because the government tried to come in and, and shut down whether or not people can, you know, get prescriptions for things like ivermectin. And so you're going to see more people that are, are willing to do that, willing to provide those other uh, alternative, um, you know, medicines and things like that. And as the government tries to cut down on that, I think you're going to see under the table transactions because most people are going to look at this as, wait, no, there's nothing morally wrong with me requesting this. There's nothing morally wrong with somebody providing it to me. And so if, if the solution is we got to work around the government angles, uh, actually, if you want an example of this, you can look at the movie The Dallas Buyers Club, uh, where they were actually doing this with respect to medicine for um, AIDS patients. And you had people actually working around the government regulations in order to try to get people what they wanted or what they needed. Um, so I think you're going to start to see more of that because I, I think also more people are going to be confused on why do I have to get my health care through the, the typical you know, you know, big insurance company, you know, and government controlled healthcare services. Like, why do, why do I need to do that? Um, if, if my kid falls down off their bike and scrapes their knee and needs some stitches or something like that, what, why can't I call my buddy who I know served, you know, 15 years as a Special Forces 18 Delta medic? And why can't I just pay my buddy 100 bucks to come over and provide the stitches instead of going through a whole emergency room visit? Well, right now you can't do it because it's illegal, um, right? But I think you're going to start to see more of that where you have that sort of economy where people are willing to swap, they're willing to barter, they're willing to, you know, take risks and chances with respect to how do they get the products and services that they want um, while avoiding the sort of either excess prices or shortages that government policy has inevitably created. So those are a few predictions that I have for 2022. Again, Republican takeover of the House of Representatives. Um, I think you're actually going to see an increase in, in what can be considered black market transactions, but honestly are just people engaging in, in economic transactions where there's, there's not some sort of moral quandary involved, right? Again, we're not talking about moving, um, <laughs> we're not talking about doing something that is um, illegal because it's immoral. We're talking about creating efficiencies within our own lives by avoiding the sort of onerous government regulations and interventions um, I, I do think you're going to start to see Republicans pushing back in fundamental ways. Um, I do think you were, I, I am predicting that we're going to see an overturn of Roe in some sort of substantive way. It might not be overall the way we would like, 
Um, but I do think we're going to see an overturn of Roe, and I think what's going to happen is abortion decisions are going to go back to the states instead of being something that is was just a, a bad decision in 1973. So I think you're going to you're going to start seeing states making different decisions on that. Um, and and I do think that we're we're going to see a, a lot more you know again pushback at the individual level at the state level with respect to the sort of federal inter intervention and and um, centralization of power that is just really un-American in many ways. Um, okay, here's my last. Prediction, and, and I don't know if this is going to come in 2022 or 2023, um, but I think we're going to have a good idea at, by the end of 2022. I think we're going to have a good idea on who are going to be the you know three to four front runners uh, for the Republican nomination for president. And I'm going to predict right now that I don't think Trump is going to do it. Um, I, I think Trump is going to see a lot more value in him being able to set up a, a media network. Um, I think we could really see something like that blossom within 2022 as kind of a pushback against some of the other media networks and, and some of the censorship that we've seen on social media platforms. And so I, I don't think Trump's going to run for president. I think he's actually going to probably double down on the media side. Um, I think there's going to be a, a far greater ability, not only from a profit perspective, but also from an influencer perspective um, on him running or managing something like that rather than running for president. So I could be wrong on that, but I, I don't think he's going to do that. And then I think you're going to start to see people like, um, you know, Ron DeSantis, Christy Nome, uh, a couple other names out there that are going to be people that are, are going to be on the, the short list as either president or vice president uh, material. So again, this isn't an endorsement of any of these candidates. It's not a knock on any of the potential candidates. You know, I think Nikki Haley is going to probably make a run for it as well. But I, I, I think that Trump is probably going to go uh, the media route, and I think it's going to be um, one, of those other, one of those other candidates that's going, Mike Pompeo is another name that's been thrown around. Um, but I, I do think, if, if I had to rank it right now, I would say you're probably seeing like Ron DeSantis, Christy Nome at the top of the pack with guys like Mike Pompeo and, and Nikki Haley as, as some other like formidable candidates. Uh, and clearly there'll be some other people between now and then that also jump in that, that particular race. So anyways, hope you've enjoyed these predictions. Go ahead and write them down. We can come back later and determine whether or not I'm good at any of this. Um, but once again, thank you for listening all throughout 2021. We had a great year. We managed to average, you know, two podcasts per week. We're actually talking about doing some other things in 2022, which on, uh, you know, a future podcast here in the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about. Also, I'm going into legislative session since I am still a member of the Virginia House of Delegates. So we're going to be doing a lot of updates about what is going on in Virginia and giving you kind of behind the scenes look on how things are progressing through that process. We got 60 days uh, to really deliver on a lot of the promises that, that were made. And uh, I know I'm adamant about making sure that we do so. I think my colleagues are as well. So it should be an exciting session. Once again, thank you for joining us all through 2021. We look forward to your continued um, support during 2022. Uh, once again, God bless. Have a very happy new year. And we will see you on the other side. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. 
So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.